expecting you. Slice and Dice podcast, the official podcast of PopNinjas.com. I like official. You like that? Sounds so important. Sounds like like we mean something. <laughs> we know better, as do our three listeners. Stephen Dan, back at it again. Podcast number eight. I think I called the last one Pop Ninjas or, or Slice and Dice number eight. It was, in effect, number seven. Yeah, yeah I think so you did, because I seem to remember looking at you like, okay. Yeah, no. Uh, Time war. This is eight. Um, and we're going to talk Elysium a little bit later. The new Neil Blomkamp sci fi flick. So we'll get around to that. You know, I was looking through the, uh, looking for some relevant news and stuff, and I didn't, I didn't find this to be overly relevant to get too into, but it was sort of sad. And the story that drew, drew me to it was even sadder, but they are dismantling the love boat. Really? They're dismantling the love boat the, as in parts. The real love boat? The, the, the real the, love boat. That was the queen. It was, uh, it was the Pacific Pac- Princess. That's what it was. Um, it was built back in 71. And after the show ended and stuff, they they sold it to different cruise companies. And I guess it was in a, a Scottish or a Swedish, I don't remember, um, for the last few years until it's been out of commission for a couple hmm. of years now. They're dismantling it, but two workers... That, that's, that's a little bittersweet, though. Two workers that were on and The reason it was even brought into the news was that two workers that were a part of that team died of some sort of gas exposure or something. Oh, well... They were, which is... Which is <laughs> well, okay, maybe it needs to be scuttled. <laughs> kind, of, kind of sad news there, but... But, yeah, that was the same way, because I was like... Dude, it's the love boat. Yeah, that that to me is such a classic show from our youth. It, and I don't remember if I, as a kid I even liked it that much because oh, I did. I I, I knew what it was. It, the seventies was so different, man. 
it, the 70s loved getting just collections of different celebrities together to see what would come up. Dude. Look at the Battle of the Network stars oh, and stuff like that. And Circus of the Stars. And but it's, it's you know, it, it's almost like you could almost look at some of that stuff, and not, not necessarily the Love Boat, but certainly Circus of the Stars and Battle of the Network stars, was sort of like a a precursor to reality television way back in the day mm-hmm. because you still you were still talking about celebrities that that are barely celebrities for oh, the most part right you're not talking the the biggest actors no. out there trying to tame a lion no <laughs> you had charo yeah. <laughs> she had to have been on the love boat 18 oh, yeah. times yeah yeah you had your uh what was his name um uh ted the guy who did the Cosmic Cow, Ted Knight. Oh, he, God, yeah. He was on it a million times. Don Rickles oh, showed yes. up on this shit. All these people showed up on... It, it, the Love Boat and Fantasy Island... Yeah, Fantasy just, Island was another one. ...were just these shows for these has-beens to come on, because they knew the old people would be like, Oh, I know, it's Don Rickles. Mm. I want to watch that, <laughs> you know? But but I did. I loved it. I loved yeah. sitting there watching that shit. It was... It, well, and you only had three channels, too, so... You know, what, what else were but you going you, to watch? You, the fact of the matter is, though, we didn't complain because we didn't know any different. I mean, it, right. we, we had what we had because that was, that was a Saturday night show. That was followed up by Fantasy Island, wasn't it? Yeah. I seem to remember the Love Boat was 9, Fantasy it Island was. 10. Yeah. I don't remember what network. Is that NBC then or was it ABC? Don't remember. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I should know. And you're right. It doesn't matter, but... It is kind of interesting that that, that then, was. Dude, the, the I, I will go straight out and say that early Love Boat, dude. I was all over Julie. Of course you were. Then she went. Then she got all coked out and got that frizzy hair again, yep. and I was done. <laughs> no, dude, she was slamming early on. Yeah, she she was. She made me realize I had little boy parts when I didn't know I was supposed to at that point. Marie Osmond was mine. I was a fan of Maria. My first real... She was a little bit country. You know? Yeah. My first real crush at that age would have been Aaron Gray on mm. Buck Rogers, dude. Oh, yeah. Aaron Gray was so slamming. Mm-hmm. I remember an episode of Buck Rogers where they had some uh, disease that made them hypersexual. And even the commercial, she's unzipping her spacesuit. <laughs> and as a little boy, I'm looking at it going, I don't know what I'm seeing, but I like it. A I lot. feel funny. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Well, something's up with my little mushroom. Ah, <laughs> uh, moving on. Um, it, it needs to be noted. The first Oktoberfest podcast yes. of the year. Yes. Samuel Adams Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest is in the house, and it is uh, tasty. It, it is. As you look, and we're five minutes in, and I know that we're each almost down to the end of our first one. Yes. Um... So, this isn't news. This isn't going to surprise anybody. Bruce Willis is a dick. Total dick. Um, that, that's public knowledge. Um, unfortunately, Bruce Willis also holds on to one of the most iconic Hollywood figures of all time in John McClane. Yep. So, to some degree, he gets this pass. Well, Sylvester Stallone said, fuck you. <laughs> You're not getting a pass. Now, we all know about the Expendables, and I liked the first Expendables because the first Expendables didn't feel to me, well, it felt to me that that Stallone was trying to get 
some good guys in this and just recreate this 80s action type thing, it wasn't overburdened with them. He had like five or six dudes and they were just making an action flick. Yeah. And it felt like that. Um, the second one, and all of a sudden it seemed like that now this was just becoming a comical thing. Mm-hmm. Now the whole shtick was, let's see how many of these dudes, dudes that are even like borderline action stars are showing up in these films. And then having them make fun of each other's roles right. that made them popular. Right. Which just ramped up the cheese, and I got nothing out of Expendables. I didn't hate the second one as much as you disliked it more than I did because it was a different. I totally acknowledged that it became something else. It's like why don't you just make it a good action flick with these guys, and then it would would, go farther with me. But instead, you're treating it more like it's some sort of Saturday Night Live skit. and we get the fact that the 80s were cheese, yeah. but when we saw them, we didn't think they were cheesy because we were in the mm-hmm. 80s. Right. And I think that's what they're missing is they're looking at it saying, well, the 80s were cheesy, let's make fun of it. Right. No, you need to treat it with a reverence that as if you were in the 80s still. Right. Give us that and let us say, my God, it was a cheesy era, but it was so fucking fun. So Stallone, of course, um, you know, ever since the first one, he's just been... Spending all of his time trying to find all corners of the globe looking for every action star. The cast of the third one's huge. Yeah. Um, And he has Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis had a, what we call a cameo in the first one and and a more extensive part in the second one. And he wanted to bring him back for this third one. And they said, Bruce, four days of shooting. That's it. We'll do all four of them in a row. All you got to do is come in. We'll do it. You're out. Three million dollars. That's three no million dollars. No brainer. He wanted four. Seriously, to be a part of this, to be a part of this this eighties, you know, throwback movie that you've already been a part of in the first two series. Yep. And you're going to hold out for a million dollars more. Why is three million not enough for four days of work? But props to Sylvester Stallone for saying, you know what? We don't need you. Go away. Dude, I think this was the smartest move they could have ever done. Bruce Willis can't keep thinking that he's bigger than every other franchise. But he's he's just this, yeah, he's just got this, like, smirk on him. He's just a dick. To be honest, back in the 80s when he was popular... I had nothing for him because he always had kind of the same shtick that Martin Lawrence did where they were, I always thought they were intentionally trying to be arrogant to piss people off. Yeah. And as I saw Bruce Willis in interviews, I started to think, I don't know if this is, this is not him for real. Yeah. So I'm one of the guys who never saw Die Hard in the theater. I had no desire to pay money to support the guy. I came around and saw it when I hit DVD, I hit DVD VHS. And rented it at my local Welby drugstore or something. I liked it enough, but I've never been that big a Bruce Willis guy. There's always no. been something about him that's I've always found to be egotistical. Yeah, and, that, and that's exactly what's what's playing out here. Um, yeah, he's always come across that way. I mean, I like the I like the first three diehards. The fourth and the fifth are, are abysmal. They're, they're not even worth calling diehards. Um, you know, he's done some other good stuff. Um, a looper. Was, but Looper, I would argue, is about look, the story itself. And okay, Joseph and Gordon Joseph Levitt, Gordon was, the Levitt part. was the bigger part. Um, Sixth Sense, certainly yeah. he did good. And um, Red was entertaining. Uh, I don't think you saw that. I one. didn't. 
Um, you know, so I mean, he's done decent work and stuff, but more often than not, and especially lately, lately, it's just like he's just collecting his paychecks and he doesn't really care. Well, and you brought up Red. Look at the story. Uh, well, the story, nothing. The, the the way he treated the reporter on the Red yeah. Two press junket. Yeah. It was just a total fucking asshole, which goes right in line with what Kevin Smith has said that he dealt with on the shooting of Cop Out, where Kevin Smith has nothing good to say about the guy. No, yeah, he was one of Smith's heroes Yep. prior to this, because John McClane, Die Hard, is a big, Kevin Smith's a big part of it. That's, that's why Kevin Smith even begged to be a part of Die Hard 4, because mm-hmm. he wanted to be a part of that. Um, but he said, yeah, the guy is just absolutely impossible to work with. Yep. For no reason. Well, what I think is is the most interesting thing here, and you and I have uh, discussed it before, I think it also goes to show you that people misjudge Sly Stallone. I think people truly believe that the way Rocky comes off or Rambo comes off is what Stallone is, that he's an idiot. Stallone is no idiot. He's built an empire out of playing these kind of characters. But if you really see him in an interview... Where he opens up, the dude's anything but an idiot. And I give him so many props for recognizing, you know what? We don't need Bruce Willis. Now, I find it interesting that they've given the spot to Harrison Ford. Interesting enough. Um, And I also find it interesting that Harrison Ford accepted said spot. Because he's kind of all over the place as to how he views himself. Harrison Ford, though, at least the last last three or four years, because Harrison Ford uh, held that... That uh, Han Solo chip on his shoulder. He did for a long, long time. But as uh, Harrison Ford has gotten older in the last few years, he seems to have been more eager to embrace some of this stuff. Um, I mean, just showing up in like Cowboys and Aliens. Yep. The fact that he's even discussing the Star Wars stuff is going to be a part of it. I, I think. I think Harrison Ford. He's coming around at least, and, and maybe it's just his age. Just, yeah, I think it just may be like you know what, this is what's left for me. You know, just embrace it. I'm not going to carry this chip. I'm not going to be bitter about being typecast as Han Solo in Indiana Jones my whole life. And, you know, Hell, whatever. I've heard he's still open to doing Indiana Jones Five at this point. I did Which, hear that. I, I would. I, I would like to just. I, <laughs> I, I wish he would do Indiana Jones Four. <laughs> You know, I've never sat and tried rewatching uh, Kingdom of the Crystal God, Skulls. I'm not one of those people who fucking hated it, oh, hate but it. I didn't like the movie either. There I was so much wrong with it. Oh, so bad. And I, but so I just kind of decided it never happened. Whereas yeah. last night, I think it was Sci-Fi, I was playing uh, in the Last Crusade. That's a great Love movie, that dude. Movie. That yeah. was such a great movie. Uh, absolutely. And the the fact, and you're right. Maybe it's just at his age, he's realizing. You know what? At this point, realistically, what are my options? Right. I can just fade away, yeah. or I can embrace where what the fans have wanted me to embrace, and let's do it. Which would certainly be an Expendables kind of thing, because all of a sudden he's just basically coming in. If he's playing the same kind of same kind of role, what Bruce Willis is like the the government contact for these guys, right? So he, he didn't You're have replaceable. To, I mean, he yeah. did get out into the field last month, but yeah, he's replaceable. But it was as much about uh, give it throwing lines at Schwarzenegger, though. Right. And, and those, you could yeah, argue Bruce that Willis, was a scene that got... Bruce Willis added nothing no. to that movie. No. That movie, was, that movie was mostly about just Chuck Norris. I was going to say, and, and, it was about Chuck Norris being yeah. Walker. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he, he basically said, Bruce told Bruce Willis to go fuck himself... 
got rid of them immediately, brought Harrison Ford in. I think to even to make to even rub some salt in the wound, you ought to give Harrison Ford four million. I agree. <laughs> Just for another fuck yep. you. I so, agree. So Bruce Willis, and I'm sure Bruce Willis could care less because that's just how Bruce Willis is. But it's sad that a guy can't get out of his own freaking way, get out of his, get over his freaking ego to be a part of something that fans want to see on the big screen. Mm-hmm. But no, he can't. He can't be bothered with that. So fuck you, Bruce. Maybe Willis. he's holding out for the big moonlighting movie. Yeah, whatever. Um. Speaking of celebrities that, I don't know, maybe they don't get it. I don't know what it was. Um, now, you and I, disclaimer, have not seen The Lone Ranger. No, we'd announced that we were going to, and then we decided that's not the sword we were willing to fall on. Yeah. We'd I mean, fallen on it and still had the wounds from After Earth. It is a movie. Well, yeah, it is a movie that I will see eventually. But it when it hits my box. One that I'll pay the buck to pull out of the right. box. Sure. Um, a lot of it was the fact that it was two and a half hours. Wasn't getting good reviews. Looked like Pirates of the Caribbean on trains. Yep. Um, and it just... It just it, I, I don't give a fuck about the Lone Ranger. I'm oh. sick of seeing Johnny Depp and freaking whatever get-up they can put in him this time. Um, and, you know, Army Hammer doesn't inspire... Oh, my God, i got to see this. The next and Army Hammer And the worst Hammer thing movie. is they, they weren't even trying to push Army Hammer in it. No. It was all about Tonto. All about which, Tonto. which is never the point of the Lone Ranger to begin no. with. No. So everything everything pointed to this just being a colossal failure right from the get-go. But turns out, it was a colossal failure right yeah. from the get-go. To the tune where Disney was rumored to be writing off around 200 million bucks. Yeah. Um, which, you know, and we, we could spend a whole other podcast trying to figure out what goes through studio executives' heads. And, and how nobody thought that maybe this movie wasn't a good idea mm. to begin with. At any budget, because nobody under the age of 75 gives a rat fuck about the Lone Ranger. (laughs) But, anyway, so the filmmakers and the stars, well, at least least Jerry Bruckheimer, uh, I think Army Hammer, I don't know, has Johnny Depp been in on this too? Johnny Depp has, and I want to say Gore Verbinski was. Um, Okay. But I know for a fact Johnny Depp was. Uh, You're right, it, it was Gore Verbinski. Have come out... And basically said that the movie failed because of the, what the poor word of mouth that yeah, it got from the critics. From the critics. So now I've never known for 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 solid tentpole movies, and Lone Ranger, regardless, is a tentpole, it was supposed to be a tentpole. It was a tentpole summer flick. The critic reviews have never had that significant of an effect on the box office for those types of movies. None whatsoever. didn't matter if every critic hated Iron Man 3, the fanboys were going to see yep. Iron Man 3. It was going to make a bajillion dollars. Yep. The Avengers, all these types of movies are going to make their bank. The Lone Ranger was just something that nobody cared about. And... I, like I said, I, I can't sit here and tell you that they made a bad movie because I haven't seen it. I can be presumptuous and say that that everything points to it being a bad movie, or at least an average movie at best. But for these for these fatheads that are a part of this to come out and blame everybody but themselves for their failure is just lame. Well. It, 
what are, what surprises me is it, it comes off to me like before they did this film, they probably should have used a focus group here and actually discussed the whole plan around it to see if there was actually any interest. I don't get any impression that they did. You know, if if you feel like the critics lambasted it, well, maybe you needed to make a better movie. Was the, even the things I'm hearing were pretty bad. Mm-hmm. The fact that they, they wrote Tonto like he was constantly stoned on peyote, where he's talking, trying to carry on conversations with Silver. So Jack Sparrow. Exactly. In Indian game. And, and sorry, Johnny Depp. If people starting to get tired of this is problematic, then maybe you need to listen. Don't start hating the critics. Right. Clearly, other people just decided not to go. We didn't wait for the critics to tell us that no. we weren't going to this. No. We had no interest in it. I didn't read... Actually, have, I have not read one review of it. I haven't either. I, I do know that, that critically it's being panned because I can see the, the aggregate scores on Rotten Tomato or mm-hmm. something like that. I can tell that the movie's doing poorly, but I haven't read any point-for-point point reviews on it. I'm, I'm a big enough movie buff to be able to judge for myself based off of the trailers and yep. what I'm seeing and, and just an overall general interest that this wasn't a movie that was going to succeed. No, nothing about it. It's not my fault that they threw up a $225 million filming and, budget. And, and that's the other. That's another whole topic that we need that we need to discuss at some point is how... In the world, does something like this cost two hundred and twenty-five million, and they can pull off District Nine for for pocket change? That, that it blows me away. I, I don't understand. Is it, it, is it all because Johnny Depp won't do a movie for under a hundred million bucks? Or I mean, well, I, I don't get it. I heard in this that they, they they were trying to design a locomotive that literally. They approached some train engineers and they said, "Here's what we want to build." And the train engineers looked at them and said, "So do we." And you can't do it. It's a train that, if you could power it that way, would be the best train ever. It doesn't exist. So basically, the entire that one of the biggest bogies was on building the train that can't be built. So they built this prototype that had to be pushed around from place to place because it couldn't actually run. And that cost them in the tens of millions just for the train. As soon as you start putting stuff like that into a movie, you've already filled. It's a fucking Lone Ranger film. Right. It's that a type of train, That type of train isn't even realistic. What's the point? It's like, find an old locomotive. Yeah. You can't tell me they don't exist. Of course they exist. But, what, but you need to, to put in uh, the Back to the Future 3 lo- time machine locomotive? <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't cost them that kind of money. No. Of course not. It could, that could that could go through time, and it still had a smaller price tag than the one in the Lone Ranger. There were so many things in this movie that they could. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And you also hit upon one, Army Hammer. If you're trying to do a two hundred twenty-five million dollar movie, maybe you need a bigger name than Army Hammer here. Well, they had their bigger name. Johnny Depp. But he was in the role that no one believes is supposed to be a major speaking part. Right. If you know anything about the Lone Ranger, Tonto is the silent sidekick. Right. And to do any more than that was ridiculous. And I'm already getting tired of Johnny Depp's play that he's 118th Cherokee or whatever it is. Because for everything I've heard about the way he played this role, he set the Indian nation back hundreds of years. (laughs) 
They think they're planning another attack. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, hopefully they're not looking at this going, this, this our movie. Yeah. Him, I us. I don't, I don't think they're doing that. <laughs> no, I think they go, mm, bring him Johnny Depp a scalp. <laughs> <laughs> to our casino. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give him wampum box. <laughs> Drink them free. <laughs> Comp free so, buffet. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. The, the filmmakers coming out and trashing the critics and, and the the fans for for the failure of their film. How about just don't make a shitty movie right. for two and a quarter? Really, million. if you're gonna throw two and a quarter, uh, two hundred and twenty five million down, think about what you're putting it into because you hit a. If you look at District Nine, I want to say it was shot for thirty million, something yeah, or twenty million, something like that. It looks better than anything I saw in the trailers for Lone Ranger. Yeah. It's a it was a beautiful film, yeah. and I, if, if you can do that, then where, why two hundred twenty five million? And if you spend that much in the movie, by the time you market it and everything else, you're already looking at having to pull in about four hundred million. Honestly, in a summer this crowded, is that a number you're going to try to hit? <clears throat> It just seemed foolish to me, it and it's time to take ownership because they are they are to blame. They're the ones Disney had scrapped this thing back when they were trying to get a two hundred and fifty million dollar price tag. Great, so they knocked twenty five million out of it, and Disney says that, that's fine. Disney's not losing any money here. They've got Star Wars coming up. They own the the Marvel universe. They're good. But still, they need to really take a step back between last year's John Carter, who, which I, you and I both admit, kind of got lambasted more than it deserved. I think people well, really need to give that movie a chance. It wasn't horrible. No, I, I actually enjoyed John Carter. But yeah, that's just, it's another example of one of those movies like people were like, John who? Right. I, I, I have no idea what this is even about. Yeah. It was poor marketing. Really, Everybody know. I don't care whether you're a fan or not. You know who the hell the Lone Ranger is, right? John Carter. I didn't no even know clue. who the hell John Carter was. No clue. Uh, you know, based off some book a hundred years ago no. called John Carter from Mars. I, and, and a lot of people said, "Well, they screwed themselves by taking the uh, the of Mars off the title." I don't even know if that would have helped them. No, it, it probably it probably didn't make it any easier. But the fact of the matter is, it's it, again was just trying to pull some dusty old book out, mm -hmm. throwing two hundred million price tag on it, and saying this will be our new franchise. Well, maybe not. Maybe people aren't looking for the sci-fi novel written a hundred years ago. That's probably not where we're going. Yeah. If you and I'll throw this out there: if you want to throw something out that's a moldy oldie that should get done. Disney's not going to do it. Why aren't people looking at Lovecraftian kind of horror? Pulling some of his old novels out. You could easily... Actually, that was my intent, but you're right, it is. You could easily find some box office gold from some of his works. Pull them off for 30 million bucks. I guarantee you'd make your money. Again, Disney's not the studio, but a Lionsgate or something to that extent could easily get 100 million out of one of these. It'd be no no brainer for it. Yeah. Um, speaking of horror... Yes. We wanted to talk a little bit about how the, the horror genre seems to be making a little bit of a comeback. And it's starting to bleed profusely into the small screen. Oh, yeah. Which I'm, I'm happy about. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, American Horror Story certainly... Uh, 
sort of set the bar for this new horror thing on TV. After two seasons, I, it, it, American Horror Story for me is still a little bit of a train wreck, only in that I have to see what's going to happen, but yet I'm not sure what I've, I've seen. No, for two no seasons. idea. No clue. And last season was worse for some people. I know some people jumped off of it because it was such a mess. I didn't jump off it. I don't need another name game episode. Well, I was going to say, if you were going to jump off, that would have been the point. That that would have been it. Give me another one of those and I am done. (laughs) Um, But... But it's it's just one of those like I, you just I just want to see what's going to happen, yep. even though I have no clue how this ties in. But anyway, um, and then you've got like some other like it, more fantasy than horror, I guess, with the Once Upon the Times and the Grimms and and things like that. Um, but now we've got um, uh, Sleepy well, you, Hollow. Sleepy in. Hollow. Uh, you have the uh, the Base Motels run is, is done, but it's already been re-upped. Yep. You have Under the Dome, which is doing incredibly well and is already being re- has already been re-upped. Um, you have Hannibal, which the ratings for that were kind of all over the place, but it's being brought back. And now we have the announcement there's going to be a 10-episode miniseries for The Exorcist yes. as a prequel series. Don't know what network it is is picking up, and I also haven't heard if it's going to be a straight prequel or, well, or how it plays in, and that and that the network that picks it up is going to dictate on how good it is, right? Um, you know, American Horror Stories on FX, they can get a well. I don't know if they can get away, or they just they choose to push the envelope a little bit farther than some of the networks. Uh, if if you put any of this stuff on a network, I'm I'm. Out almost before you even begin. Right, and we missed the biggest one of all in The Walking Dead. Oh, We're talking about horror. We missed the biggest. And, and yeah, you can't... Under the Dome's getting away with it in as much as there's really nothing that offensive in Under the Dome. Hannibal, though, is on a major network. Yeah. And, and it's had some pretty graphic scenes. Now, I've only seen, like... Three or four of the episodes. I'm not up on Hannibal by any stretch. No, I haven't seen any of it. Is it one of those ten o'clock on a weeknight kind yeah, of shows? Yeah, it is. Um, and I like is it Mags? How's he? Mickelson? Yeah. Michelson? Yeah. Perfect casting. And, and again, they're willing to take some risks. I think that there's certain concessions you make when you're rolling out that kind of show. Right. Um. And, and it would certainly be around both ratings. At either putting it on 10 o'clock or on an off-network show. You and I were both huge fans of Bates Motel. Oh, yeah. And uh, to me, Bates Motel was brilliant in its approach. And and as much as it'd be one thing if all they were going to give us was Norman Bates. But to give us the whole town having these dirty, dark secrets, Mm -hmm. that they are far from the only things that are off in it, this is perfect. Right. And this, to me, is the tightrope that they have to walk. The Exorcist one can run into trouble if they try to create story that's flat out not there. If you try to find a way to expand upon the universe, it's okay. If you try to just keep rehashing what we already know, this can be the trap that they're going to fall into. Sleepy Hollow is going to be another interesting one for this. We all know the story of Sleepy Hollow. I know that it's going to be a modern take that basically Ichabod Crane's unthought or something appears in modern times. And he's still fighting the demons. It'll be interesting. 
Let's see how long can play out, though. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're not going to give us anything new, then I don't have much interest. Right. It's got to be something fresh. Bates Motel is something different every single week. But Walking again, Dead off is... Off network. Off network. Walking Dead... Off network. And really not so much about the zombies. No. Now, certainly... The, the season two, the first half, when they weren't giving us zombies, was problematic. But it wasn't about the zombies that was problematic. It was about the fact that we weren't moving the story along for a few episodes. We right. were stuck in the farmhouse dealing with right. the Shane versus Rick. But thing. then episode seven's last five minutes showed up, and they were all sitting back at that point with their brandy snifters going, eh, fuck you, right. fuckers. And they were completely right. <laughs> yeah. They knew that what was going to happen. They knew what they were throwing at us. And it moved things along. It doesn't have to just be about the horror. Right. Make it about the characters. Make them interesting. Then that's where I think Hannibal does have some popularity is Hannibal's always been an interesting character. So give people more. Don't keep rehashing what we know. Well, it's keep a expanding real character. Art. Right. And it's one that there's many, many books about. And they keep expanding on it. It's, and casting's also important, though, because you have to make sure you get people that nail it. Right. Was it Freddie Highmore or whatever is Norman Bates? Perfect casting. And Vera Farmiga is perfect, too, as Norma. Yeah. I love that casting. Yeah. Absolutely love it. And uh, The Walking Dead, you could, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know if there's any part of that casting that they've ever fucked up. Everybody seems to have embraced those roles and made them their own mm -hmm. perfectly. Now, you can say you dislike certain characters. But I don't necessarily say you can dislike who's cast in those characters. Right. I'm on board with this. I think it's a, it's great. You do realize it's an interesting October, though. It's the first October in how many years? We have no paranormal movie coming out. Oh, Paranormal it's, Activity? Right. And so one of the but horror franchises... Carrie's the big horror tentpole. Carrie, and tentpole. Then there's another one. Really tentpole. There's another one that's coming out, and I can't remember which one it was. Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, they moved... Uh, well, they've got... The, in January, they've got the Paranormal, the Latin spinoff. Yeah. Which, I I don't know, is it like Ghosts with More Tacos or something like that? I, I don't I don't understand it. Uh, and then the, the PA5 will roll out uh, in its normal time yep. next October. And I'm fairly certain it will involve the family in some way. Yeah, it's just, I just hope they they do something with it this time. And again, that's just what it is. Give fresh takes. Yeah. If you keep rolling the same thing out... it's story. Right. If you keep rolling the same thing out, people start checking out. It's yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah. And that's where these TV shows really need to be careful. If you keep rolling the same thing out, people are going to check out. Yep. All right, we'll uh, break there and we'll... Uh Come back. Uh, well, do we want to do our douche of the week while we're still at it? I guess we should. Yeah, let's do it. We haven't done i got to finish my beer. Yeah, we haven't done a douche of the week in a while. Well, we have. It was Justin Bieber. Well, yeah. But, he but just, we just kind of did we, as a, if we were doing we podcast, just hand it out again. Yeah, if we do a podcast and we don't like have an official douche of the week, just fill it. It just defaults to right. Justin Bieber. <laughs> yeah, give it to Bieber again. And uh, this, this time, though, we're going to go with a female. Now, arguably, you could... Say that Justin Bieber's a female too, and we have kind of nominated because we nominated the Dolphin Birth Couple as douchebags, right. did we not? Yeah, we did. So we did. That was half female, but we're being specific this time. This week's douche of the week is the little diva cunt niece of Julia Roberts, 
Emma fucking Roberts. Oh, yes. You undeserved of any level of acknowledgement, talentless cunt. Yeah, well, her, her all her talent is the fact that she's related to Julia Roberts. Exactly. That's it. I mean, let's be honest. She has exactly lit the world on fire. Hollywood narcissism at its best. She was in Aquamarine. Yeah, all right. <laughs> You're in the movie of the girls finding the mermaid. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, right. Uh, wasn't she uh, Nancy Drew? Yeah, too? she was. She was Nancy Drew. <laughs> right. Um, well, apparently... And well, she's supposedly in the next season of American Horror Story. Oh, great. At least episode one. Uh, Whatever. Hopefully they kill her off. Or, or they have, like, a cunt demon. <laughs> what would that even look like? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, well, she's been in the news a lot lately. Uh, for a couple months ago, for beating up, or allegedly abusing her uh, boyfriend. Now, I gotta use the term boyfriend with a, with a grain of salt here, because Emma, Wa- uh, Emma Watson, Emma Roberts is about... I don't know, five foot two and about sixty pounds. Yeah. Is. What boyfriend is she? Is she kicking around? And concern it's Tate from freaking American Horror yeah, Story. Yeah. Who's who's not a little dude? Well, I mean, I mean he's I not guess, huge. But how do you how do you get abused by him? It's my Roberts. understanding in his defense that he wasn't the one who called the police. That she basically snapped and was making so much noise because they were in a hotel room in Montreal that the neighbors in different rooms all called the police to come and bust her. When they came in, he was all black and blue because she beat the shit out of him and they, they hauled her off. Well, I guess, Not a I proud guess, moment. I guess to, well, I guess in, in, to his defense, he wouldn't hit a woman back. Even though she may have just... To a certain extent. Well, you could, she I, may have. I would not be, want to be the deciding member of that jury. No, no. <laughs> So she got into that bit of trouble. Now, most recently, um, it was a it was a cutting in line fiasco. And what was what it was some kind of pres- of uh, hybrid of a donut and cronuts. Uh, yeah, that's what is that the, the cr- donut and, yeah. hybrid? Yeah, it must be a rich uh, Hollywood thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, and she, I guess the line was. Quite Out substantial. It was down like part of the block. Yeah. And she and her publicist walked right by it. Because she's Emma Roberts. Yes. Yeah, walked right up to the counter. And the person at the counter looked at her and said, go back in the line. Bravo. Basically, pulled, she pulled a, a Chris uh, Kardashian... Trying to, when Chris did it, we tried to get her new iPhone. Yep. And the, iPhone, the Apple store person said, that's the line. And she got all pissed off. That's what Emma Roberts did. She went and got in the back of line, started saying fuck you, and turned around and left. Awesome. And the people just kind of cheered her as she left. Yeah. You know what? I I just, I beg for the day, just one day in my life, that I could be in that line oh, dude. when celebrity shows up and pulls that shit. Yep. Because I, I will go to fucking jail. <laughs> Going and, off on this fight. And let's be honest. I, with Emma Roberts, I'm used as celebrity oh, with quote marks yeah. around it, too. Yeah. I mean, she, she really, she has about as so much celebrity as far as I'm concerned as Steve-O does if he's well, to appear in line. I mean, where do you get off? No. If you have to use your celebrity, then you're not a celebrity. No, and and the fact of the matter is, clearly, you think a lot, if you walk by an entire line... 
you know what the line is. Right. You clearly know what you're doing. So you are going out of your way to say, I'm better than this. Yeah. I'll just go get mine and they'll give it to right. me. Why do you assume that? Because you are a fucking cunt and you think too much of yourself. Right. That's why. Right. You just, uh, you're, you, for some reason, believe that you're on a different level than everybody else in that line. And for that reason, Emma Roberts is our douche, douche of the week. week. So we will come back uh, in a little bit with some fresh beer and some what we watched. For the movie. Let's go see the star. <laughs> Cowboy heroes, cops and robbers, glamour and strife, bigger than life. Sitting in the darkness, what a world to see. Let's go to the movies and wait and see. So I had harbored good intentions on watching more, but I only got around to two new flicks. Um, a lot of a lot of that is due to the fact that I've been trying to. Uh, piece together some of these TV shows. You know, I'm, I'm gradually moving through Arrested Development Season 4. I'm gradually moving through Orange is the New Black. Loving both of them. You're probably ahead of me on Orange is the New Black by now. Um, I think I've seen six of them now. No, oh, they were right on par. Maybe seven. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. I, thought, I, I think it's really hitting its stride right here in the middle. Starting to get some really good episodes. Yeah, um, once they got through the newness of her being in prison, yep. and they started working on the other characters, mm-hmm. it's a really well done show. And I really like the way they uh, they sort of dedicate time in every episode to go back mm-hmm. and show you a little bit about these people before they went to prison. That they each have a story. Yes. You can't just assume that they're they're convicts, so they're, they're just assholes right. that belong they're, in jail. Nobody is just a side character here. Mm-hmm. That's what's great about it. Mm-hmm. That's... That's how you make good television. Right. And I don't know how so many, how, how like, networks don't understand this. They did it with Lost. Mm-hmm. I'll give them some credit with Lost. You knew more about these people before the, before the plane crash. The flashbacks in Lost to me were some of the, the better parts of that show. It is because you got little snippets of what made these people who they are today. And that's where Origin of the New Black is the new black to me is the strongest. Yep. Is in these little these snippets. And for my money, of all of them, I think one of my favorite ones yet was the one on the 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 transsexual. Mm. Uh, basically about the struggle with making the changes as a married yep. man yep. realizing that it was not happy and, and just wasn't right. Mm-hmm. That episode to me was so well done. And, and let, let's give props to Netflix here. Because these are extremely well done episodes. And they're not pulling any punches. I, I, I love the show. It, yeah. it, it's a brilliant show. I'm on board. I've got to assume there'll be another season. Because oh, it you. is just... A, I have not seen a single bad review of the show. And, am I wrong, Jason Biggs has become a far lesser character as it's progressed. Mm -hmm. Because now that she's in jail and has been, the newness with him has worn off. Mm -hmm. He'll pop up for five minutes every episode. You'll want to punch your TV or computer for that time. 
And it's not even so much that the guy's doing poorly in the in the role. No. He's fine. He's just a dick. He's just Jason like Biggs. Him. Right. <laughs> I just hate Jason Biggs. Um, yeah, I just watched the episode where he was lamenting being the third wheel out on a date with the... Yeah, with you're the ahead friends. of me then by one episode. Okay. Um, so yeah, that that's why I'm not getting around to so many flicks as I've been I've been watching. You know, plus keep trying to keep up with uh, the stuff that's ongoing. But I did see a couple flicks. I know you saw three, right? So I'll let you um, kick it off. Or do we do before we get into what we watched as far as movies and stuff? Do we want to talk a little bit about Breaking Bad? I, I'm all for it. I mean, let's be honest. This is a huge season for the show. For for what you could arguably call the greatest drama ever on television. I would call it that. It, it, as it's far as I'm concerned... It's, it's certainly in the argument. Yes. It is as good as anything I've seen. And I, I, I'm i a huge Suns fan. I'm, I'm fans of many of the shows. But Breaking Bad has given me the most entertainment and the most... Oh, the best dramatic sequences I've ever seen on TV. And it's going out on top. Oh, my God. Is it ever? Um, so the, the second half of Season 5 kicked off this past Sunday. There's only seven episodes left. They wasted no time jumping right back into where they left off. Um, you know, spoiler alert, I guess. But if you haven't, if you haven't seen you've it, probably yeah, you've already problems. seen it. If you're gonna watch, if you're gonna watch Breaking Bad, you've probably already seen this episode. But um, you know, you left off last season of that cliffhanger with with what we assumed that Hank had just had finally discovered that it was Walt that was Heisenberg. And this whole episode is just sort of reaffirming that, leading up to like the final ten minutes where there's finally a confrontation between Walt and yeah. Hank. Walt, uh, Hank, basically, it, it was finding the book in Gail's house, mm-hmm. signed from WW, and with a borderline familiar also saying that Walter White has signed other things with before yep. in the book. And at one point, earlier in the series, I want to say around season four, they had, Hank had even referenced trying to figure out who WW was with Walt. And Walt said it could be Walter White. And then they kind of went, oh, Walt Whitman. And it was kind of poo-pooed off, like Walter White could never do this. And it was the reality that, oh, yes, he most certainly could. All these things that he's suddenly able to afford, now we get it. Well, and Hank's just, Hank is like a freaking ninja of a detective, too, because he well, just has a sixth sense about him. And his entire career is hinged on taking down Heisenberg. Yeah. And realistically has also started to fall apart to a certain extent because of his obsession around trying to get Heisenberg and not having any luck. Mm-hmm. He felt that he was no, that no one felt he was any closer than when the investigation began. Um, I, and as great as that that final scene was, where we finally get this uh, little bit of a war of the words between Walt and Hank, I'm as equally intrigued by the first couple of minutes, where it, it, we presume it's uh, a glimpse into the future, where Walt is essentially breaking into his old house that's now all chained off and condemned, or yeah, with kids turning the the, the drain pool into a skate yep. park, all graffitied up. 
So all we know is something happened here. The neighbor was horrified to see him. Now we don't know if that means that she that she she obviously had presumptions on what he what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't have any reference as to anybody outside of Walt at this point. So it's interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see what that meant. I, I was also happy to see that realistically, every major character that we want to follow has been rolled out again. Mm. In some way, we got Saul again. Yeah. We even had Skinny Pete appear again. <laughs> With Skinny Pete, and I'm losing the other ones. That, the other one's little weird Star Trek story, yeah. which Dude, I guess awesome. they've supposedly somebody's already animated the story <laughs> and put it on YouTube. <laughs> and it was. It was this is what listening to a stone person or a drunk person tell us tell it tell an imaginary story, this is what you get. And it was it was such a brilliant scene and and I love the fact that Jesse at this point is become just absolutely tragic. The guy who was living the high life when he was just a street corner pusher, yeah, is now just caught falling to pieces yeah, because all the money he could he could want. He wants nothing to do with it because he never at any point had linked somebody's life right to the business. Last season, somebody lost their life, an innocent, and you could certainly argue had no reason. There was no reason for the person to die. And Jesse cannot go on knowing that he was involved with it, even though he he was involved in the the events of the day, but not the act that killed the kid. Right. But he cannot get past it. Um, I, I and she didn't do anything wrong in this episode, but I still hope <laughs> Skylar dies a horrific death. Well, she, I would argue she did because I felt that the way she went off on the the former business associate chick. Was none of her business. That was See, Walt's I, job to go off. It was. He 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 pulled a very Gus Fring esque uh, performance in front of her. Yep. Um, I didn't have any issue with the way but uh, Skyler I get handled it. that because Skyler's like, look, we're done with that piece. We, we have a pallet of money in a freaking right. storage room. Um, I, I would have done the same thing. I think if if, if I had been in her shoes, but uh, I don't think her shoes would have fit me. Probably not. No, I'm not a heels guy. But I, I will say that chick wears some pretty nice heels. The, the, the business associate one. Right, right, right. She's, right. she's not a rough-looking woman, but I, I I, think things end poorly for that one. For the business associate? For the business associate. Oh, right, right, right. Um, yeah, and now we're talking about the potential for a new spinoff. Has it been greenlit, the, the Saul spinoff? I haven't heard of its greenlit yet. That scares me. You know, I, part of me just wants to let Saul die with the... With the He's a great um, character, but removing but, but Walt will from he, it, I don't yeah, know. Will he work outside of this environment? I think and we the, had this discussion. Before. I I think the only way you can make him work in my mind is turn it into an almost comedy around Saul, AMC level comedy. We don't need laugh tracks, you know. But you need to look at how ludicrous this guy's life really is. Yeah. I don't want to see this. I don't. I, I'm, I'm really afraid because I, I Saul Goodman's such a great character. Don't do and, anything to tarnish the legacy of this <laughs> show. <laughs> Saul Goodman, Bob Odenkirk is perfect for the role. I. I'm afraid that this is a character you really can't do much with outside of it. I don't know. It, it, I guess the only reason they've chosen is who else could you choose? Uh, 
I mean, there's really... I don't get the impression any other character survives maybe, this. Maybe Walt Jr. will, will go on to, uh, you know, be the next Doogie Howser for <laughs> the next house. I, I was more thinking the, the, the next spokesperson for the Special Olympics, but okay. Uh, uh, that's harsh, dude. No, well, he's, he's got an affliction, I'm not saying. <laughs> he's got a condition. That's, it's it's there. It's a winerism. Yeah. It, well, yeah. He, he gets all the sports cars. Everything Thanks else. Thanks for the car, You take not the car I wanted. You ass. I mean, the, the, to me, the guy. He's such a little whiny prick. Oh, I hate him. But yeah, great, great first episode. Absolutely. Dude. It, it, you know, I know there are some people out there who be like, yeah, I, I got to get on Breaking Bad. It's one of those shows I know that I'd like. And uh, yes, you do need to get on Breaking Bad. Like I said, arguably. The greatest television drama ever. We finally got through to Newcomb, you know. He started watching it. And, oh, really? And he, within a week, he was halfway through season two. <laughs> he, he'd tell me during the day, he's like, Dan, i got to go home and watch at least two more episodes. It's a show that just gets better. It does. And he was just like, well, this Tuco character. I said, dude, wait. I you, said, it gets so much better than Tuco. This is a show, and you know, there's seven episodes left, but I don't have any reason to think the last, the last seven are going to be any different. Uh, a five-season run of, what, how many episodes? 13 Yeah, it was 13-ish, 16-ish, something like that. The, this season was going to be the long one with 16, which is why they then That's split right. it. There are no throwaway oh, no. episodes in the entire series run. No, no, no. There's something major happening in each. There's something going on with the main plot line. And they really stick to the plot line. Mm. This is not one of those shows that has some standalone episodes. There are none. Right. There's no way you could fire up episode five of season three and go, yeah, I can watch that. No. Not unless you've seen everything else prior, you can. No. It won't mean a damn thing to you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, brilliant show. Anyway, you've seen three flicks, I've seen two, so you go first. All right, well, my first flick I saw was a uh, flick done late 2012, but it's finally getting released now, called Maniac, which stars Frodo Baggins himself, Elijah Wood. Sung by Michael Sambello? If you want to call it She's Up, Maniac, yes. And I suppose if you want to put Frodo Baggins in a little skin-tight outfit and have him dancing underwater. I do not. Neither do I. Um, but Maniac basically follows the, the life through the eyes of a serial killer, played by Elijah Wood. Um, it's not like it's any stretch for him to play this role. Anybody who's seen Sin City knows he's played somebody that's a serial killer before. In theory, if you've seen Wilfred, you know he's also played people that have slightly batshit crazy, but I'm off that bandwagon a long time ago. Um... But this movie basically follows the the life of this guy who's a manish, uh, mannequin shop owner. But the problem is, in his eyes, the mannequins are real women. So, adorning his house are all these mannequins. And they don't look like Kim Cattrall. None of them look like Kim Cattrall. Actually, in his eyes, they look better because what he does is he kills his victims, scalps them, brings the hair home, staples it on a mannequin... And that mannequin then takes on the full form of his victim in his mind. In full form and full voice. So they carry on conversations with him. They argue with him. They're jealous of the next woman being brought in the house. Now, is he is he 
playing this all himself in his mind? Do you actually hear what he's supposedly hearing? You see. what They, they, they show oh, okay. him through his eyes where he'll come in, and all of a sudden the mannequin will fuzz and be, have the full form of, the, of the, one of the victims from the past. What is she doing here? What, what, how could you bring her? He's got one in his bed that in the morning will tell him she loves him, and, and then will start cursing out the woman in the corner and things like that. But this is all in his head. It's all in his head. So what they do is then they introduce a, a, a female character who's a, a quote-unquote photo artist who's obsessed with mannequins as kind of her medium to shoot. She falls for his shop and the, the products inside of it, and they form a friendship, I suppose, a friendship of sorts, but it's more about how long he can... Maintain this friendship without giving in to the urges that he's got. And also not letting her inside. That he knows that there's no way she can never come into his house. She can never find out what he is. But he's also petrified that at some point he'll show her what he is. And so it, it's more... This movie follows the whole idea that a person that's sick can never be anything but... And it will work for some, for others it won't. It's, it's one of the more graphic movies I've ever seen. Some of the, 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 the scenes are nothing short of brutal. If you, Which you don't like. I'm not a fan of watching somebody tied up and slowly scalped with a straight razor. While they're alive and screaming and begging for... That becomes problematic for me. It's a movie, it's not real. I know. <laughs> and that's how I was able to sit through it. <laughs> And some of the stalking scenes are, to me, akin to as good as the first driving scene in Drive. When we see him be a getaway driver, same idea. The first scene, they show him stalking somebody for a good 10 or 15 minutes. And it is some of the most tense movie-making scenes, uh, movie-making I've seen in a long time. If you like this kind of movie, it is really good. It's shot totally noir style. For some, there's going to be an appeal. There's almost no head-on shots. They love shots through mirrors, bounced back, catching just the eyes. They love shots from his eyes of what he's seeing. Um, they, they love graying outside images out. So you're only focused on the focus that he's got in his mind. Um, I would give the movie a good three and a half out of five. If, again, you've got to go into it understanding how graphic the nature of the film is. If you're... Bothered by it, I would avoid it. Just know that it, if you want an unflinching look, this is your film. Oh. I checked out um, Sightseers, which is the new film by Ben Wheatley. And I liked his, uh, his previous effort, Kill List, quite a bit mm -hmm. from 2011. I think 2011. I saw it last year, but I think it was 2011. Um, this didn't quite work as well. This was more of a, uh, a dark comedy of sorts. A uh, couple of people, and it's a British, a couple of people um, going on holiday, as you will. Um, just, just going to see the countryside, hang out, uh, do naughty things together and such. And... They're in the middle of lunch somewhere, or walking around this uh, historical um, place, and 
the guy sees, the guy's name's Chris, he sees somebody litter, and he calls the guy out on it, and then the guy is, is your typical flippant asshole about it, like, you know, fuck you and stuff, mind your own business. Cut to a couple minutes later, Chris and, I don't remember her name, but Atina, I think, um, they're backing out of their parking space, they run over the dude that was giving him shit, by accident, and it kills him. And it's fairly graphic, because dude's blood is all over the the, uh, the camper and all this kind of stuff. So, there's this, and then cut to them just continuing their journeys. You know, they're a little traumatized at the beginning, but like ultimately they're like, eh, alright, he was a dick. <clears throat> and, and it really wasn't their fault per se, you know, it was, just, it was purely accidental. So they go on, and... It, it follows their adventures, stopping in these little campsites and some stuff, and eventually they just start killing more people. And it becomes not, not necessarily a game to them, but it becomes sort of, like, fun to them. But it never does a good job of explaining, really, or connecting it all, of, of why is just killing these people all of a sudden, like, something that you guys want to do. And they go and they kill maybe four, five, six people throughout the course of this. There's a couple of moments that are that are, are fairly amusing, but for the most part, most of it just sort of falls a little flat. Um, I never really understood at the end of it what exactly he was going for here. Um, I'm sure that in Ben Wheatley's mind that a lot of this is some sort of relationship metaphor or something uh, with all this killing and, and how they interact with each other at, before and after. But it was lost on me for the most part. Um, a couple of good chuckles. I can't really give it more than about a two out of five. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're a fan of Kill List and Ben Wheatley, if you're a completist, check it out. Uh, if you're not, it, it's not really worth it. Didn't, hmm. do, didn't do much for me. Alright. Well, I will build on that by saying I, I kind of fell on the, the Pop Ninja Sword and saw The Canyons, the movie that everyone's talking about with Lindsay Lohan's coming out party. Uh, the movie that she did with uh, porn star James Dean. What people aren't realizing is the director behind it is Paul Schrader, who's done some major things. He's the guy who directed American Gigolo. He's the guy who directed Cat People. But more importantly to me, he directed one of my favorite late 70s, early 80s semi-action dramas, Hardcore, with George C. Scott, where his, his daughter, he's a... A minister whose daughter goes with a ministry group into the big city and doesn't return. And he knows she becomes part... Of, he's afraid she'd become part of the underground porn industry. And he goes on his own quest to find her. And it's a brilliant film. Absolutely brilliant film. Paul Schrader, though, is clearly removed from this kind of movie. Um, the Canyons, as best as I can make out is the story of, well, James Dean's character is basically a trust fund kid in L.A. So he's got all the money he, he'll ever know what to do with, hasn't had to work a day in his life, basically occasionally throws money into pictures to give him a start, but nothing overly risky. He's, his living is Lindsay Lohan, who's 
you can tell has probably lived part of the underground life at some point. And basically, she's having an affair with the guy who's been cast in the movie, the latest movie James Dean is helping fund. The whole movie, it, it, it tries to be some psychosexual noir film that doesn't quite work. It, it's it's a who's screwing who, but at one point you really don't care anymore because they're laying it all out. You're going to be 50 minutes into this movie saying, I think something's supposed to have happened by now, but nothing has. Literally, if you want to see the movie, fast forward to the final 20 minutes, it all happens there. It's... If you're going to a movie solely because you want to see Lindsay Lohan's tits, do yourself a favor and rent Machete. It's a much better film, and you see them in that. People, for some reason, aren't remembering that. They're becoming obsessed with seeing them in this. She's actually quite good in this film. Um, I think she is by far the best part of this movie. Which should tell you all you need to know about exactly. this movie. <laughs> uh, James Dean is a porn star trying to act. He's not horrible in this, but he acts like what you'd think a, normal, a male porn star is going to act like in a movie. And, of course, because it's a male porn star, he's put in many shots that are akin to a porno film. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, if you're looking for dongage, there will be some at some point. But the movie, there's not I will much, not be looking for dongage. You won't need to, because they'll walk right up to the camera with it hanging out. Um, it, it was uh, to the point where Borat would have gone, oh, it's my son. Um, it, the donger needs food. It, apparently it was getting to get, going to get fed. Right. I would say a two out of five. It, it, for Lindsay alone, and at times it really looked good, I think Schrader had an idea, but I just think he's so far removed from doing the stuff like hardcore, like American Gigolo, that it just isn't working anymore. Right. And so, two out of five. Well, I caught... I'd been, I heard good things about it over the last six, eight months or so. Uh, it was on video on demand stuff. I never got around to it. And it finally popped up on Netflix streaming. I watched The Bay. I actually which, want to see this which movie. Which is a, uh, a found footage film... Fairly, fairly creative found footage film, at least from the found footage piece of it. About uh, basically, it's just an uh, um, an ecological uh, horror type story where these parasites uh, get in the water in uh, Chesapeake Bay and they start infecting people, and it just basically starts just tearing people apart from the inside and. It's the July 4th festivities, and all this stuff is is, uh, is through video cameras. There's, there, and it follows, like, about four or five different segments of people. One's just a girl who's trying to, uh, to make it as a journalist, so she's, uh, she's doing uh, something for a local TV station with a cameraman following her. Um, there's some of that. When people start getting sick, they go to the hospital, and a lot of the footage there is through the, the security cams of the hospital. There's you know, police dash cam type stuff. So there's a lot of different pieces to this, a lot of moving parts to it that that allow you to use different forms of found of, of, of different you know found footage aspects, which was fairly creative. Um, the story itself not all that intriguing. 
parasites invade, people start dying, you know, chaos ensues, there's nothing, they're not breaking any new ground whatsoever in, in regards to that piece. And that was what was sort of disappointing. Um, you know, alright, people are dying, these people said this was happening, these people are ignoring it. Uh, it was almost Jawsian in a way in the beginning where where the warnings were coming in, but the mayor wouldn't shut it down because it was the 4th of July and oh, you know, all the festivities and, and all that bullshit. Yeah, remove 4th of July, call it Memorial Day, and you've got Jaws. Yeah, it was it was well done from the camera perspective and using the found footage genre in sort of a, a unique way. There's nothing whatsoever inspiring about the story. The biggest name in it is Kristen Conley, who doesn't have a huge resume. You may know her most uh, notably from from being in uh, Cabin in the Woods. She was the cute redhead um, in that. Uh, uninspiring, two and a half out of five. Don't go out of your... It's on Netflix streaming, so if you have it, you're not paying anything extra for it. That's fine. I wouldn't invest any money in seeing it. All right. So, Which is interesting, because that's when critics were... Kind of touting like they were going to love it. Then when it came out, you didn't hear anything about it again. So it's almost like they were promoting it before they saw it. And when they saw it, they said, oh. Yeah, it's it's, it's completely forgettable. Yeah. All right. Well, the last film I saw was a film called Passion. That's a Brian De Palma film. But again, this is one of those cases where I ran with it because I've always loved the director. I mean... Listen to some of Brian De Palma's films. 76, Carrie. 80, Dress to Kill. 83, Scarface. 84, Body Double. 87, The Untouchables. Casualties of War. Bonfire of the Vanities, Raising Cain. Carlito's Way. I mean, this guy's done some major fucking work. And a lot of his stuff, and again, it's a term I've already used at least once in this podcast... It's kind of in the psychosexual. He pushes the he, he likes the R rating, likes getting a little down and dirty with his films. Looking at the seedy underbelly of things. I like me some seedy underbelly. And with Rachel McAdams and Numi Rapace, who Numi Rapace is one of those chicks. I swear, in some shots look at her and go, she's hot. Other shots look at her and go, ew. Well, yeah, you have no. the, uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo right. version. You have Elizabeth. Have the Prometheus yeah. version. And, and I, I have a feeling she's somewhere in between. Again, it's shot for shot. Rachel McAdams, though, is pretty damn fine. Oh, right. But this movie is basically that Rachel McAdams is the... Is a... <laughs> of Rachel McAdams, no question. She is like the branch manager for a fashion uh, magazine... And she's looking to get ahead. And she hires this up-and-comer named Numi Rapace. Well, played by Numi Rapace. And right from the get-go, it shows that Rachel is one of those that likes the attention of the guys. Knows how to play the whole, you know what, I'll be the hot chick. I'll giggle at all the things the bosses say just to get ahead. But then Numi approaches her with some great idea for an ad campaign. And, and so, yeah, I said magazine. It's for a fashion line. The ad campaign is basically 
find a hot secretary in the building, put her in the latest pair of jeans, put a camera on her ass to show guys looks as they go by, showing that they stop and look, and that's the campaign we'll use. How does this chick's looks, ass look like in these pants? It's a great hit. Problem is, Rachel McAdams sits right in front of Numi on the conference call and says, yeah, it was my idea. And takes... So instantly, if you've seen Disclosure, if you remember that film from back in the mid-90s with Demi Moore and uh, Michael Douglas, mm-hmm. it'll instantly hearken to that. Though it was my idea. And all of a sudden, she gets the big offer. to let's We'll, we'll put you in charge of our branch over in France, where you'll get far more uh, attention. And then Numi realizes what's been, what's happened to her, and she starts running with it on her own. And so it, it basically becomes underling trying to outdo boss. It doesn't go anywhere, though. It, you get this twist, well, twist, this little plot point 20 minutes in, and an hour later, you're still struggling with what this movie's trying to do. It flat out almost doesn't even take off. It... it it feels like at some point they had no idea where they were going with it. Had didn't have a finished script and a script, and we're going to run with it. This movie flat out doesn't work. I was so let down for a Brian De Palma film. I just felt like this was a lesser effort. It, I, I I'll begrudgingly give it a two. I'm thinking more one point five out of five. I can't even recommend anyone see this film. Wow. All right. So sounds like a pretty, pretty piss poor uh, <laughs> movie. Basically, all we're around. saying don't bother with what don't we see. Watch Breaking Bad. Is right. What we're all right. We're right back with our top five films that films of the fall season that we are most anticipating. Yes, sir. There's only uh, essentially two weeks left of the summer. I mean, all the tent poles are gone. There's a couple of little films, Kick-Ass 2, The World's End, that we're waiting on just to sort of round out August. And then we start getting into September. And there's typically a little bit. There's a good six-week, eight-week window there where eh, it's sort of just sort of a fluff thing. You know, maybe a couple horror flicks, maybe a couple of decent flicks filter in there. And then we get hardcore into... Uh, Oscar bait season. Yep. Um, which which is a blast for me. Love Oscar bait mm-hmm. season. Well, we, we've we always made a big deal of the Oscars. It's, it's, it is a big deal for, for, for the ninjas. No, that's, that's our gay side. It is. That, that's where that's where we get comfortable with that side. We always have Bananarama. Yes, we do. So we thought it would be fun to look ahead. In, in the next podcast, we'll probably look back on what our best and worst movies of the summer were, but we can look sit here now and go, what are our most anticipated movies for the fall? With the caveat that we're not discussing tent poles. Yes. It'd be way too easy to throw a Thor down. Or Catching or, Fire, you know, The Hobbit. Or like even that. for me, Anchorman 2, which yeah. I've been, because it, whether or not you see that as a tent pole, it's still getting a whole lot of attention. So suffice it to say that those movies, certainly we are anticipating, certainly... We want to see, 
But we're looking for this top five list to be more of those films that maybe aren't as high profile as those types of films. Not not the one that Joe, everybody's going to flock to and it's going to make millions and millions of dollars. Right. So, with that said, this is our top five most anticipated films of the fall. you want to start? Because I'm sure. throwing up my list. My number five is going to be a... Well, I've already kind of referenced it. It's going to be kind of my little guilty pleasure film. I can't fucking wait for Machete Kills. I cannot wait. This is clearly one of my favorite, one of the films I'm looking most forward to this fall. It, it, I'm bummed that it was delayed from the summer, but to a certain extent, as packed as the summer is, I'm not bothered by it. I'm kind of ready for a breather from going to movies. Looking forward to it. It's landing in October could be a perfect time for this movie to land because it let's be honest it's not going to pull in a hundred million if it pulls in 50 million as far as i'm concerned machete kills was a success but i can't wait to return to that b movie that i had so much fun with the first time and i love the fact that danny treo is getting some attention here and some credit Mm -hmm. you gotta love danny treo you gotta love machete (laughs) and you gotta love going back to machete kills uh, yes, abs- absolutely. Um, and it's definitely one of my honor- honorable mentions. Because um, I did love Machete, and uh, the, the previews for this one looked just as uh, just as intriguing as any of them. It didn't make my list, but certainly one that uh, I'll be there to see opening weekend. Um, when I put together my list, I think my list is, is honestly... It's more in tune with who's directing as much as anything. Now, now, granted, there's there's a lot of three of mine are around the director. There's a lot of uh, of solid acting talent in all of this, but each one of these has a director that mm-hmm. that I'm always excited to see what's going to happen next. From three this. of mine, they may have some major players, but it's the director that sells it for me. Yeah, absolutely, and I think all five on my list are probably going to get some sort of acknowledgement come Oscar time. Um, that said, I would say my fifth most uh, most anticipated one is Nebraska, uh, which is the new Alexander Payne movie. Alexander Payne of the Descendants, Sideways fame. Basically about a story about this cantankerous old bastard who claims he's won a million dollars in a magazine sweepstakes and he talks his son into driving him across country to claim his prize. And if you know anything about Alexander Payne movies, it's that he totally gets relationship type movies. And I don't mean relationship necessarily boy-girl. He gets family relationships. He gets best friend relationships and sideways and stuff. And just to see what he has constructed here in a father-son type, type role... I'm all on board of seeing. Um, you know, it's usually very minimalist type filming, but based on his track record, there's no reason to think this isn't going to be awesome. No, I'm definitely down for seeing that. That was one of my honorable mentions. Number four? Number four. Number four for me is another one that we discussed kind of as a passing thing. I'm looking very forward to the reboot of Carrie. Um, I knew that one would be on your list. It would have to be. Well, because of the CGM being attached to it. But I, everything I've seen, this is a reboot that I think we have a reason to be excited for. 
at least from the trailers and early word, it sounds like they're getting it right. Now, that's yet to be seen. Again, I'm also happy that it was moved to October, which is when we want this kind of movie. Come mid-October, I will be so down for seeing a film like Carrie in the theater. And with the casting we've got attached to it, it's... I think at least we're all, we're hitting the ground running. Now let's hope they deliver. They need to understand exactly what Carrie was and try to do it all over again. And I think that they can. I can't wait for Carrie. Uh, yeah, another one that's certainly uh, high on my list. Didn't make my top five, but uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on that. Chloe Grace Moretz and Julianne Moore both. Yep. Um, Going to be huge. Uh... My number four is purely, well, I'm not going to say it's purely director-driven, but it's, it's certainly one of those movies that I will always see what this guy's going to do next. Okay. Every time. doesn't matter who's starring in it. If Lindsay Lohan was and Pauly Shore were the, the leads, I would have faith enough in this director to say he's going to make this work. Uh, it's The Wolf of Wall Street. It's Martin Scorsese. Uh, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. It's uh, the good, what looks to be the good Matthew McConaughey. Oh yeah, um, midget tossing as a sport. Yeah, uh, everything basically about the rise and fall. Apparently based off a true story, the rise and fall of a Wall Street tycoon who uh, got into drugs and partying and this hard, hard partying lifestyle, and then just sort of lost it all. And I can't wait to see what Scorsese does with this. And if there is a God, this will be finally the 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 vehicle that gets Leonardo his fucking Oscar that he deserves. It's about time, oh, dude. The guy does such brilliant work. He doesn't get snubbed constantly. Snubbed in the way that he doesn't even get nominated for half the stuff he does. And he give me an example of Leonardo DiCaprio where he wasn't good. Even in bad movies, he's he's good. Yeah, and, and again, I came around in DiCaprio because I was like every every other Star Wars fan in '97 when Lucas was casting the role of Anakin, and at that point we were smarting over the fact that Titanic had bumped our movies out of the top ten because a bunch of screaming teenage girls were missing the point that thousands of people died in the Titanic, but they're going to watch this love story, which didn't actually happen in real life. Right. Once I got past that, and so it was the departed for me, and saw him in that, I'm like, oh, this well, guy is seen the, the fucking shit. I have not. Oh, see the aviator. Yeah, well, I'm already on board Gangs with the fact the guy's York? never seen it. Oh, God. You're killing me. Sorry, I haven't seen it. The, these these are, are just, these are like just Leonardo movies that are just brilliant. And, and granted, sure. the departed is too. Um, but yeah, and then you've got Glorious Bastards on top well, of that, okay. where he should have gotten at least a freaking nomination for supporting. He didn't get a nomination for supporting actor. In which movie? Um, uh, not Glorious Bastards, <laughs> Django. Okay, I was like, Django and in Glorious Bastards, he wasn't yeah, no, in that. <laughs> no, Django. Brad Pitt, dude. <laughs> right. Um, no, I, I've always, I've always been on the Leonardo bandwagon and, Pound for pound, I think the best actor that doesn't have an Oscar on his shelf, for sure. 
I would agree. But anyway, uh, Scorsese and DiCaprio and Matthew McConaughey <laughs> on board. Yeah. Don't even have to. Don't even have to convince me. Yeah. I agree. So the next one on my list was yes, actually Dillian Harper because I hit the wrong list. Apparently, she's the cover model in the latest issue of Hustler. Oh, right. When I was in the bookstore, I'm like, "Ooh, who's this chick? I need to Google some of her movies." But that's not what I was looking for. This is your number three. My number three is Inside Llewellyn Davis because we're talking a Coen Brothers film here. As soon as you tell me Coen Brothers, I'm on board. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, I love everything they do. It's an intriguing idea to basically follow somebody from that late 60s, early 70s musical era, the, the folk scene, it, but with them leading the, at the helm, I'm, I'm down. I think this could be a great character study, which is what they do. Mm. They write great characters, they get into the heart of what makes people tick, and makes you actually want to watch it. I I cannot wait to see the next Coen Brothers film. Mm. So, Inside Llewellyn Davis. Alright. My number three, um, another another fantastic cast, but also director-driven yet again. My number three is American Hustle. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're talking about a David Fincher flick. We're talking uh, David Fincher from um, the Silver Linings Playbook. And The Fighter. Uh, and The Fighter. And, um, or not David Fincher, I'm sorry, David O. Russell. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting my Davids mixed up. Uh, but, but still, of the fighter and of Silver Linings Playbook, re-teaming with Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, adding in Christian Bale and Amy Adams, oh, and Amy Adams Christ. is looking good. Yeah, she is. Amy Adams looking good in any decade, uh, any period dress you want to put her in. Um, basically, uh, about, about con men forced to work with the FBI, they get entangled with the Jersey mob and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's a fictionalized version of the Abscam scandal from, yep. uh, the 70s. Um, uh, Fincher has, has, I'm going to keep doing that. David O. Russell has knocked the last two films he's done completely out of the ballpark. Yep, he has. Um, and, and I, and with this cast, I, and, and the trailer I saw... This can't miss. No. This cannot miss. I am all on board with it. And that's why it's my number two. <laughs> I, 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 I am nicely flat out just on board with this film. Everything I've seen is perfect. And talk about a cast. Oh, if you're looking at people right now that, that are the ones getting all the buzz. You Has were, Adams won? For won an Oscar? Yeah. She's been nominated. I don't believe she's won. Uh, so, so we have two... Two winners. Was she nominated at the same time as Melissa Leo for Supporting Actress? Yes. I think, I so. think they were both nominated for and it. And was better. Oh, no doubt. But anyway, we've got two nominees and two winners. Yep. Jeez. Uh, I, I, this movie looks brilliant to me. I can't wait for it. Uh, yeah. Um, my number two, um, I won't spend a lot of time on it because you already hit it, was uh, Inside Lewin <laughs> Davis. Uh, the if the if you've got if you've attached the Cohen brothers name to it, I'm going to see it. I don't care. Um, and and to be honest with you, I think one of the most underrated actors of the last couple of years, who, who finally, I hopefully, will get his due here, is Oscar Isaac in the lead role. Yes. There. Um, uh, He's it, kind of been oh, it's that guy in a yeah, bunch of movies. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I'm interested to see what the Cohen, what he does with the Cohen brothers here. Uh, you know that the soundtrack is going to be interesting and yep. quirky and, and basically about a guy who's 
in that New York City uh, folk scene. Basically, the scene that. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, come on. What's his name? Uh, I don't know. What's his name? Everybody must. Oh, Bob Dylan. Thank you. Uh, the same scene he came up through. Right. So it's supposed to be kind of like this guy's his contemporary but hasn't had this success. Right. Uh, yeah, it's Coen Brothers. Yeah. I'm this is going to be a full character study. You can't go yep. wrong with the Coen Brothers. Nope. So your number one. Which you've already discussed, so I won't go into it in any great detail. For me, it is The Wolf of Wall Street. I. I am fully on board with anything Scorsese does. At this point, it, I don't care what it is. I'm going for it. And that trailer had me sold, and the casting has me sold. And if there's a guy who can truly capture that Wall Street feel and how dirty and gritty it can be, it's Scorsese. Sure. And I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Notice that all of my movies, there, there isn't anything about September, October in my movies. No, there isn't. Because my number one is actually, hey, mine wasn't spoiled. This isn't one that's come up yet. Um, my number one is The Monuments Men. The new, uh, written, or co-written and directed by George Clooney. Mm -hmm. um, with John Goodman in the cast, it's Bill Murray in the crazy cast. Crazy cast. Crazy Matt cast. Damon's Matt Damon's in it. Matt Damon, crazy cast of characters. It feels a lot, at least looking at the trailer, it feels a lot like Ocean's Eleven... In World War II setting, mm -hmm. about these this this troop of that was sort of tasked by uh, FDR to go in and save or rescue a bunch of classic pieces of art from underneath the Nazis before they just destroy it. Not sure that's something that I would put high on my priority list no. in the middle of a war, but all right, makes for a good thing. The trailer looks like it, it's got some some comedic elements to it, which is interesting, but yet still like a, still a hardcore because it's based off there. There was an actual troop that called themselves the Monuments Men that did this, so there's uh, there's some truth into it. Um, this this could very well be this year's Argo to some to some degree, and and I like Clooney, uh, you know, as as a writer, you know, keep, you know. Keeping his his liberal bias aside, he, he doesn't get all up in your face, really. No, and you can't deny the work he's done in Hollywood. He's uh, he's he's awesome because he stood for the little guy when it comes to filmmaking. Yep, absolutely. Um, so the Monuments Men is my number one. Um, but uh, when I say number one, I look at all five of mine and say that this is one A, B, C, D, and E because. Mm -hmm. Every one of these is just kind of... This is going to be I, another fun Oscar I'm season. looking at... Uh, last podcast, we referenced how we've kind of hit the wall. It, it almost seems like there's been too many movies this summer. When I started really looking at what's coming out during the fall, I don't know that we truly let up. Now, no. certainly for tentpole films... Okay, there's a break. I would argue even... Well, a break, yeah, but... But there's still some... The holiday. There's, there's three big ones right now that are going to be huge. And again, if you want to say Anchorman 2 also counts, sure. that's four. Sure. Four in a two-month period. Realistically, a five-week period. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking by the time you have Thor, Hobbit, Desolation of Smog, you have Anchorman 2, and you have Catching, Catching Fire. You're talking... A holiday season, which... On top of the five movies I just said. Right. You're, you're talking a holiday season that could, in all actuality, 
have a $400 million film in there. Yeah. Will have a 400 There's no doubt in my mind Catching Fire does it. Realistically, Desolation, Desolation of Smog should pull in 300000 yeah. Thor, if it follows the tune of what Iron Man 3 did... Mm-hmm. Could easily pull in two fifty three hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. Anchorman two, you have to believe is going to pull in a hundred million, and that would only it would stop there only if the movie then sucks. Right. Because Anchorman has gained so much life. Anchorman is one of the best comedies ever. And and you kind of have to uh, compare Anchorman to the success of an Austin Powers, where it took hitting the the video release before people really started seeing it. And then people started seeing it. And then look at what the second Austin Powers did. Mm-hmm. Austin Powers, the, the spy who shagged me, did huge business. Mm-hmm. And realistically, you have to believe Anchorman's going to uh, follow the same the same path. I hope so. And that's just four movies. Then you put what's on our list. There is no let-up. Until we hit January, there's none. I think it's going to be another great Oscar season. It is. It is. Which, I mean, that's good. Speaking of which, I noticed that in two weeks, Amore comes out in Redbox. I can do, finally see it. Do you see Amore? I will. At some point, will. As a movie fan, I would say that you should. Yeah, and, and that's just it. I, I should. It, it did get nominated last year, and that was the only Best Picture nominee I didn't see last year. Right. So there's a part of me who really and feels we like pride ourselves on yeah, seeing all the, the best picture nominees. It's not that I'm opposed to seeing it. I which, tried like which hell. I'm hoping like hell the butler doesn't get nominated. Oh, dude! If the there's butler. a if there's a trailer that every time I've seen uh, it, I, I want to punch the, the TV. It may be good. Who knows? I don't need to see Oprah and, and Forrest Whitaker go through a movie. No. I really don't. I don't want to, but if it's nominated, I will. But yeah. I will. All right, we'll wrap. Uh, we'll break here, and we will come back with our review of Elysium and fresh beer. Yes.
So, director Neil Blomkamp burst out of the scene two years, three years ago with uh, District 9. Is was that 2010? I think it was. If not 2009. It was 2010. Yeah, I think it was, it was Oscars 2010. Um, District 9, which I liked. I think you liked a little more. I love the movie. Um, uh, but yeah, absolutely, I thought I thought it was uh, I thought it was a brilliant movie. So now he's come out with his latest Elysium. Um, I don't know who wants to start here. You, we have intention. We didn't see this movie together. No, and uh, you. I've done something which is odd for me to admit that I've not gone to our own site because I know you posted a review, mm. and we pride ourselves in not discussing movies before we do the podcast. Right, because we sort of want to like. The, it needs to be fresh. We don't want to put any bias into the other person's opinion. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. We, could, we, may, we may disagree to some degree here. I don't know. Because my, my thoughts are pretty much that Elysium is nowhere near the level of District 9. All right. Um, to the point where I ended up giving it a 2 out of 5. Uh, I think that this is just one big... Heavy-handed, progressive, left-wing harangue disguised as a sci-fi film. All right. Well, so let let's hit the the elephant in the corner, which we're both going to agree on. This is an attack on the rich, and I, I do have a problem with the premise that in the future, the rich, as a whole. Decide that they're better than the poor, which I'm not saying some don't, but you and I have both admitted full, wholeheartedly we are capitalists through and through. When did it become a crime to be rich? And that's just, I get the fact that there's that trust fund kid that has no idea what it means to work and does poo poo on everybody beneath them. But then you have people we both respect the fuck out of Adam Carolla, well, who's a self made millionaire who had nothing. Well, well, what I was gonna say was, you know, there there are some there are some CEOs out there that have gotten the bad press. There are the mm-hmm. Bernie Madoffs. There are the Enron people. So there there is such a they are such a small minuscule percentage. Of what the rich entail. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that are rich worked hard, yep. got their education, yep. paid their dues, yep. pay a shit ton more, whether you want to believe it or not, pay a shit ton more in taxes than everybody else. And, and that, I think, is the biggest problem. And, is and where's the crime? Is? Where, a lot of the people streaming the lowest are looking for the handout from the rich. Yeah. The rich pay way more in taxes than you do. Yeah. They pay a higher percentage. The fact that you don't want to have to work and you want them to pay your benefits yeah. is bullshit. It is and bullshit. And still they do. And we're not rich. No, 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 no. But we fully acknowledge, you know what? We've made bad decisions. We're stuck with the situation we're in. And hopefully things will get better. Rich is something to strive for. It's not a crime. Right. And and the people that are rich have a right to live as they will with their money. And, and the problem right off the bat with Elysium is that it basically tells you that the rich not only feel that they're better than you, they also 
truly live the fact that they're better than you. Mm-hmm. And this giant, beautiful space station is built that they all move to. To a man, every rich person evacuates the overpopulated Earth, which has become a graffiti-ridden and retardedly graffiti-ridden. Because every single thing in every building was covered had been tagged, which well, I thought got old. And, and, and I would counter, because Blomkamp certainly had a social message here. Yeah, he did. Okay, he certainly wanted you to know that he thinks that rich people are all greedy, ruthless bastards that that are against giving everybody universal health care and they're mm-hmm. against immigration policies and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But he does himself no favors. He contradicts himself in this by showing the earth the way it is. I'll tell you what, if I was rich, I'd want to live somewhere away from these people right. too. There's, there's no hero in this movie, and, and Matt Damon as Max is the alleged hero here. Even there's though he's no, a multi-time he, convict. He's a, he's, a, he's a convicted felon. He, he hangs out with all the wrong people. He yep. hangs out with carjackers and thugs and stuff. There is nobody here that I want to root for over over the, the rich. And, and right from the get-go, my issue with the movie was that... As a rich person, and you, you hit the nail on the head, showing the Earth the way they do, and the Earth became a shithole. There's no question. Well, well Los Angeles became a shithole because that's the only piece of the Earth we right. see. If you're going to tag everything, people, I mean, we've already spoken out against tagging. That, that person who believes that graffiti is art, bullshit. Tagging is vandalism. And if you're going to tag everything, and if you're going to try to take everything I've got... I'm going to go fucking live on Elysium. If I can, I'm going to. And if you're telling me that I have machines up there, that no matter what I get, I can heal like that. Just by sitting in a machine, if I'm a citizen of Elysium, fuck yeah, I'm doing it. So, but here's the problem. It also then basically posits the idea that those people up on the space station don't care one iota about the people down on Earth. Right. Even if they're their family, which they don't say that, but right. you'd have to then extend out a little further right. that if there was some poor part of their family, because I don't care how rich you are, there's some offshoot of your family that doesn't have that money, you bailed on them. In this, the idea is you won't even offer them any chance of say, There's a kid in this dying of leukemia, and they can't get her the permission to go sit in a machine that in 30 seconds would heal every bit of it. Right. And I struggled with that. Well, I struggled I st- with that from, from respect also, because you, you, you said there that nobody on Elysium. Well, you know what? We've only met two people on Elysium through this whole process. True. Jodie Foster as as the secretary of, I don't know, defense or whatever it is. Even though she and, had no power because she was... Constantly pissing off the president. Well, she 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 constantly pissed him off, but you would argue that maybe she had the power too. True. Um, and, and William Fichtner, who spent most of his time down at, uh, but on, being on just the kind of rich person right. that you were supposed so to. So these be. are the only two examples you get of the alleged rich. No, there was a third. There was the bikini-clad chick that comes out of the pool. That's the model who sits in the machine. And she was the idea of perfection on Elysium. I guess, but... but She got her hair color changed, 
and her face slightly changed by sitting in the machine. Right. Basically, basically in this world, all the rich are want to do is have uh, afternoon tea and garden parties. Yep. That's, that's all they that's do. That's all this life. All they do. This life, uh, the Elysium was one big country club. Yeah. It, and I would argue that we didn't even really see that. You saw a couple ships coming in and out, but we never saw Elysium. No. You you see this the ship come in with a couple of people that are standing there with their with their uh, champagne glasses, mm-hmm. but you never you never get any sense for this world, right? Or what it takes to become part of it. Right. I would have liked that. What right. are you calling rich? What does this existence require to right. be? Because clearly you have to buy into it. But we never saw any of the people in Elysium ever working a second, except for Jodie Foster and her underlings at the command center. Which I also found myself struggling. Well, what's with. up with the underlings? Because do are they rich enough to be on Elysium, or are they given special passes because they're underlings working for her? Yeah. Because if they're working, we never saw any citizen of Elysium work. No. Well, I can't say that William Fickner did because he basically. Supported the death of Max. Right. It, it, so, so basically, he's established the fact that the rich are just, just indifferent assholes. Right. And again, given the world that Blomkamp shows, I'd want to get the fuck out. But I, if I was a rich guy, I wouldn't be in support of saying, "Yeah, that kid with leukemia, fuck her." Well, we've got this device. Let her sit in the goddamn yeah, thing. They basically have these these machines. They're like a bed, and and this, um, this they're like the sick bay in yeah. fucking Star Trek. Yeah, and and this thing goes over you, and it cures you of everything. It cures you of cancer. It just it breaks you. it. It was shown that it breaks it down at the molecular level. Right. It goes to the atomic scale and fixes you. It tears right. you apart and rebuilds you. Anything. Anything. So it, I, I struggle with that fact too. It's like if you have this technology up there and you don't want to keep ba- fighting the battle of these immigrants from the earth coming to you, then just send them some of this right. stuff and they'll stay right where they are. Put 10 of these in each hospital and I guarantee they're not coming They out. don't want to live in your country club world. They mm-hmm. just want to cure themselves. Right. So give them that technology. That's not costing you anything. Nope. And it's eradicating a ton of headaches. Every single but, house in Elysium had one. But that, yeah, absolutely. It was, like I said, I said in my review, I said they're, they're as common in the house as a microwave. Yep. But by doing that, it would have taken away his whole arsenal of the rich are just dicks. Right. And then that was a huge fail. Yeah, I, I didn't. It wasn't even plausible. I, I found myself really put off by that right from the get-go that it are some rich people assholes yeah there there are the cardassians you know and, there's a lot of and poor the people that are assholes and too. there are too there are a lot of poor people that would make a rich person say you know what fuck you we're out of here right but there's plenty in the middle there's plenty of you and i's who'd be stuck on the planet saying just give us the chance to make sure our family can be healed yep. of this. We're not trying to take your shit. Right. We're working our asses off. Give us five minutes on your table to keep healthy. Right. That's all we ask. And yep. you'd be done with us. And there'd be plenty of rich people who I truly believe would say, that's all these people want. Let them have it. Right. And this movie does not pause it any in between. Well, it's the extreme. They're building all these robotic... Uh this robotic police force mm-hmm. 
down on Earth, just build some more of these freaking health beds. Yep. Instead. Yeah, I I didn't get it. And who's building the police force? Because if all the people left are just poor people, then who the fuck cares? Well, it's being, it, again, it's being uh, it's being managed from on Elysium. Right. And, and why they care, I have no idea. Yeah. Because they're up there. And it's interesting because you know that Spider, who's the guy who sort of runs the underground, I can get you on a spacecraft to Elysium, where in, in which turn you'll be uh, you know blown up upon entry because mm-hmm. they don't want you up there. But you know that he's got to be making some bank doing that from people giving him money to, to, to smuggle him on these ships. To just so, be shot down. So uh, the poor that he is purporting to, to show here about the have-nots still have some level of capitalism in them. Oh, yeah. And there's still going to be a, a, a have-and-have-not situation mm-hmm. that is always going to exist. Yep. The, the United States, when did we become the land of opportunity to the land of equal outcome? Yeah. Because we are not the land of equal outcome. Because you know why? Because some people just plain work harder than other people. Yep. And they deserve what they have. Yeah. If you don't want to work, then you don't deserve shit. Right. And you certainly don't deserve me floating your ass because you don't want to work. Exactly. And that's exactly what, what the underlying social message of this movie is. Yeah. And it pissed me off. Th- this movie basically was socialism at its heart. Fuck yeah, it was. It was, it was such a... It was it was a socialistic harangue early on, and I, I I found that it put me in a horrible, awful mood to start the first half of this movie, dude. It, all the scenes around L.A. pissed me the hell off, mm. and the scenes in where they cut to Elysium with the the idealistic existence and the 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 all I can think is this is like the monkey butler's reference in Simpsons. If each each person having their own butler offering them their their martini afternoon. I, I just found myself thinking, what is Blomkamp trying to say? And is he not one of these people now? Because he is a big-time director now in Hollywood. He's making millions. Would he not be one of these people that he's condemning? He would be. I think he would be. Hmm? But my understanding is he busted his ass. He, there, there, I saw today that there's five or six short films he's, he did prior to taking and getting noticed by... Uh, Peter Jackson. I want to say it was Jackson that discovered him. I think it was. Actually, I know it was because Weta Studio did a lot of the, the uh, CGI in this. Um, and so he's basically trashing what he's become in the long run. And I think District 9 worked as much as... I know it was an anti-apartheid thing, but apartheid's been gone for a long time. And there's no one out there saying apartheid was right. That's a huge difference than trying to push socialism down people's throats. Right. Huge, especially pushing socialism down people's throats in a capitalist society. Right. Admittedly, in a capitalist society, capitalistic society, which you and I both fully admit is starting to go awry because the number of people looking for handouts and looking for the easy way out without doing right. their work. Yeah. And nobody wants to work for, for what they have. There's no doubt in my mind there are going to be plenty of people watching this movie going, fuck those rich people. There, oh, there it God, is. Yeah. Fuck those people. Yeah, they they exactly, can't keep yeah. doing it. Yeah. And yeah. and you know what? I'm sorry. It's it's bullshit. It is absolutely bullshit. Go occupy something else. Right. And that was that was the crowd I found myself more pissed off about watching this movie is I wanted to punch me an occupier during this film. Occupy Elysium. It, it just I kept looking for that little the little 
tent area of the occupiers sitting there. So the basic premise is here, is that we set up, that there's the Elysium, which is a uh, similar, sort of a floating space station uh, up in space, as it would be. And then Otherwise opposed to a non-floating, a non-floating space station. station that's not up in space. <laughs> we have Matt Damon, who plays Max, who's, who's, who's a, a former felon who's trying... Really trying to make good. Trying to make good. Trying to hold down just a steady job, just to make ends meet, and stuff, such and such. Um, he works in some plant on the line that that can, that makes these uh, police robotic robots. police, um, and and they show the, the, the police to be these like oppressive douchebags, and they're and, programmed to think that if you're a citizen of Elysium, you're okay, but if you're right. a citizen of Earth, uh, uh, as in non-Elysium, then right. you're to be questioned, right? Um, and. He gets into, there's an, uh, an accident at work where he gets caught inside one of the chambers and is exposed to a lethal dose of radiation. And they basically, in, in, as the rich will do, they flip him a bottle of pills, say, take this, it'll keep you regular for five days until you die. Yep. So he knows that the only way he's going to survive any of this is if he gets his ass to Elysium and gets on one of those beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there, there is your premise. Now all of a sudden, our hero needs to find his way to Elysium and enter Spider, who's basically got some big plan that if they can find a, a citizen of Elysium, that they can. There's a way to jack into a person's mind because everybody in the future that's in Elysium has a little implant in the side of their head which connected to their brain. And if you can jack into that, you can find out about being what the whole citizenship piece. And you're also jacking with somebody who's got billions, at least millions, or not billions of dollars. And you can hack into their hack, hack into their bankroll, and start pulling their money. And maybe you can buy your way into Elysium. Maybe you can pull enough money, you can do it. So Max's thought was it was the owner, William Fickner, of the robotic plant that basically sent him to his doom yep. then why not get him because he actually comes down oversees his plant then flies back to Elysium right. clearly he's a multi-billionaire so why don't we get also him also portrayed as a completely indifferent asshole oh just looks yeah, down upon yeah whatever the, yeah. why is the plant why is our line shut down we yeah. had a major accident the guy's gonna die what difference does it make right and it was so ridiculous. Yeah, it's so over-the-top bullshit. Um, what Max doesn't realize is William Fickner's character, Harry been brought into a plot with Jodie Foster on Elysium to basically take down the rulers of Elysium and put her in power. Right. Because the current leadership didn't like her more totalitarian way right. of handling the underlings or... The lesser folk trying to break into Elysium. Right. Well, Nerds was basically shoot first, yeah, ask questions. Which right. is with involving Shalto Copley's character, who's an agent on the planet that's basically paid to do Don't even the get me started doings. with that guy's character. Now, Copley was fine, if not a little bit over the top. Dude, I love Copley's character. Here, This but, is where we're going to disagree. Well, no, <laughs> but what was his motivation? Why the hell was he doing that? It, it, here's what I didn't understand. 
Why would he do everything for Elysium if they're not going to let him on Elysium? Exactly. It. But I love the way he this, carried the character, and he was a dirtbag. Unless through he's just into being a dirtbag and into confrontation, there was no motivation whatsoever for the dude to yeah. be doing what he was. He doing. was seen as this total outcast that Elysium didn't even want to acknowledge. Right. He did their dirty work, but don't come up here. Until I mean, he, he had somebody that was too violent. Even on Earth, he wasn't le- living in any sort of... No, no, he was living, living in a squalor yeah. apartment with his grill outside with the, the weird meat carcass thing. So that that was my biggest issue with Copley's character, Kruger, was that I, 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 at no point did I ever see any reason why he would have done any of this. Which is why in the end, when he snaps the way he does, it worked for me. Because now that he's on Elysium, the true Kruger came out. And I'll say this. I liked Charlotte Copley a lot. And I liked the way he portrayed it. But like you say, I don't know why Kruger would ever have done what he did. Because I don't get what he ever thought he was going to get out of it. Right. Other than being a lot of... You never see him get anything out of it. And if he did, he was living no better than anybody else. Right. So the, the, the benefit was what? You get to kill people. Yeah. I mean, even in the Star Wars you universe, done that anyway. if you're talking Imperial agent, you don't fuck with those. Right. In this, their Imperial agents live the exact same life as the Latino guy who's jacking cars. If you want to get into uh, performances here, I don't know what the fuck Jodie Foster was trying to do. Yeah, she I was love. distractingly bad. I didn't like her in this role. She I didn't was like more the accent than she the was, robots. Yeah, I didn't like the accent she was rolling out. She I was didn't over like what she, she was, was trying to do. I don't know what she was doing, but I thought she was horrible. I, I didn't mind Matt Damon at all in this role. I thought he was fine. I just don't think he was he, given a here's character. Here's the deal, though: the exoskeleton they put on him did it make any difference? Because I found myself at times thinking. This thing should make him a badass. Well, it, later on, it seemed to. It, later on, but the, for the first half hour we had it on, he was no different. Well, how it was the, almost like it just kept him moving. Well, well, yeah. And how about the fact that they 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 put this on him and they explain ahead of time this is gonna hurt. There's gonna then there you was have nothing. To recover. You have to recover from it, and then later on, all of a sudden, like Kruger throws one on his back and basically just like threw it on his back, and he was good to go. Yeah, yeah that was weird. And, and just with the, the, the operation from Max, you're right. They, he asked them if it's going to hurt to the, the guy who's smoking a joint about to attach something to him. Oh, yeah. And they literally knock him out with a, a shot in the webbing of his fingers. Yeah. And next thing you know, they're pulling out freaking uh, ratchet guns and everything else, bolting this thing into his nervous system. They cut a hole uh-huh. into his skull from the jacking unit because... On him, it was this digital readout on the back of his head. Unlike the people in Elysium who had it done by the computers and the machines. And At no point did he ever show any pain from it. No. I, I found myself thinking, you, you went through the show of how painful it was. You showed the blood. and They even showed the blood on through his shirt from where the thing was drilled in. But at no point did it bother him. Right. And they didn't address that at all. Then you throw in... The alleged love interest with yeah. the, the dying child, Freya. yeah, which which felt like nothing more than we have to throw something in here so that at the end 
Max has this epiphany, and it's not about him anymore. So it just felt all so forced. Yeah. I never gave one shit about Frey or her fucking dying kid because they didn't they didn't do anything to make me want to care. Well, I, I found it too convenient that all of a sudden Frey is working. They showed how nasty, crazy, busy the hospitals are, and yet somehow he ends up in Freya's room. What you have to understand is that the, the way Frey is shown is that Max was one of Millions of kids ones up as a foster kid. Yeah. And he, he, he's staying in a mission with some nuns. And they introduce Freya as a kid who's now an orphan. And he's asked to show her the ropes. And they basically form this bond through his love of Elysium. And his claim that at some point he will get them to Elysium. And fast forward 20 years and... Max has been in and out of jail. He's just done some long time for stealing some cars and shit. He's trying to be good. He's, he's seeing his probation officer. He gets roughed up by some cops, goes to the hospital in L.A., and who does he run into but Freya, who happens to be the doctor on duty. Right. That was just really... Couple other things that I saw there that I that I think I, Alfred the Butler is still <laughs> sitting at the the restaurant the cantina waiting. <laughs> there's there's a couple of things here that one was uh was verbal and one was visual that I sort of latched onto when we're talking about this this completely run down dystopian Earth. Um, I mean, we're talking like I don't know Mad Max level bullshit oh, here. Bad. Yet. In and I don't remember I don't remember Frey's daughter's name, but whatever the little girl's room, there happened to be a helium balloon attached to her. Oh, I didn't notice that. Her bed. So it's telling me that the eye party down the street's still open because they've got a helium balloon there. Then later on, when they're back home after they're forced to go back home, and Kruger busts in, she tells her to go watch cartoons. Okay, so Cartoon Network is still is still functioning in this dystopian society. What do you what, what are you trying to tell me here? It can't be all shit here. <laughs> Why party and Cartoon Network is still there? And I struggled with whether or not people had electricity in this movie because they showed plenty of people grilling outside, but I did catch the watch cartoons piece. Yeah, because at Max's existence was he had a bathroom and a bed. That's what he yeah. had. When they showed Kruger, he was, again, grilling on some makeshift grill outside. Grilling animal. <laughs> yeah. Yet, little girl is watching cartoons. Which, okay, they could you could argue, well, yeah, but her mom's a doctor. Okay, but... What does that have to do with cartoons? What, at what point does society break down enough that we're not fucking with doing TV anymore? Right. And I, that was where I struggled the most, is... Did society break down or did it not? Because what you're showing me, society certainly broke down. There's nothing left. Society itself is gone. Right. If that's the case, I'm fairly certain network TV is gone too. So, yeah, and basically what you're saying is that everybody that's left on Earth is incapable of picking themselves up by the bootstraps and making something a society. Yep. That's that's a, that is purely 100% the one percenter's fault for what's going on down here. I would totally agree. Totally Bullshit. Agree. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that take. It, to me, I kept hoping I could get past that. At no point during the movie could I get past that argument. 
I, I think that... And yes, I lean right. I do. So do I. When it comes to this stuff. So if you lean left, if you're one of these progressives that, that is on board with this 99% of this Occupy movement, you're probably going to love this freaking movie. Because it speaks to your cause. Yeah. I, I, I just happen to think your cause is wrong. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think, I think we're a capitalist society and pushing socialism is not the way to go. That The fact of the matter is telling people that it's not a good idea to try to earn your keep and that, you know what, the victor goes to spoils is a bad idea. I don't think we can succeed this way. I don't think it's a good message. I don't think it teaches this people the right ideas. This is a land of opportunity. Yep. That means you have the opportunity to do good and if, if you, you work hard. If you're one of the have-nots and you've got to figure out how to become one of the haves. That's right. And do it legally. Don't try to steal what the haves have. Right. Now, Blomkamp does shoot a fine-looking movie. It's a I gorgeous it was, film. I thought it was a gorgeous and film. The robot effects to me are fucking amazing. I, I think he gets sci-fi. Yeah. He gets it 100%. It's just this movie was just so heavy-handed yeah. in its social commentary that I couldn't get past that piece. I, I think that... For the people that felt that at times The Dark Knight Rises had an anti-corporate message, this one may hit harder on the whole anti-rich people message. I would hope it does. I'd hope that it affects you in some way. Hopefully it's on our side that you really think it was too heavy-handed. Because I do believe there's a movie to be had here. I, I won't lie about that. Yeah, there's um, moments... Now, I am going to bring up a scene I'm struggling with, though. And I know it sounds like I dislike this movie. I like the movie more I than I'm coming I think you liked it more than I did. I did. Um, but let's talk about Spider's ship. Spider follows Max's ship up because he's put a tracking device on Max. Why is Spider's ship not shot down trying to get to Elysium? How does it just land on Alicia? Because they've proved earlier that she's willing to shoot down anything coming in. Exactly. In those days, she can't get... She sends the entire police force of Elysium to go get. They shoot kids. They freaking... Those that aren't killed are sent back to the planet. How is Spider-Ship allowed to simply fucking land on Elysium? Mm -hmm. They don't address this in any way, shape, or form. And it pissed me off so badly. Mm -hmm. The fact that... And they're, clearly they're tracking Max's ship. He's holding information that can bring Elysium down, and they know it. So why would you not think to follow this ship? It, I, I, they don't address it in any way. Spider's ship flies up to Elysium. They, even if I'm not mistaken, showed an unlawful entry coming into Elysium on the screen. It lands, but people leave. Yep. And at no point are they attacked chased or anything until Max is in the picture. It made no sense. And if you want to tell me that the whole reason is because Max is who they were going for, I'd cry foul. Because we clearly saw there was enough police force on Elysium that they're not going to say... It would be akin to sending all of Gotham's police force underground into the subway system. Only to be fucking blown up. Uh, no, sorry, sewer system. Only to be buried alive. It would make no sense. It's a huge plot hole in this movie that I'm struggling with badly. Yeah. Because if Spider doesn't get there, we don't have the ending we do. 
Yet they just had him magically somehow get on the planet. Oh, I like how on the station. I like how nobody ever nobody seemed to live on Elysium. Every once in a while you'd see a ship come through and you'd see like a couple holding a champagne glass and stuff, but they broke into no less than three houses with nobody in them. Right. Yeah, it's true. Completely true. Just to go sit in their little yeah. med bay. There was nobody there. And the only time we see anybody looking at Elysium, there's one couple they show that she's showing around. She, Jodie Foster. Well, I, I'm bothered by that too, because if that's the case, would they not have been people that were on Earth? So are they now, just now deciding they're going to go to Elysium? Mm-hmm. We've had enough of trying to deal with these people... Show me what the rich people that are still on Earth are living like. You don't do that. The only one you show is William Fickner, who you're not showing how he's living on Earth. Right. You're showing him just managing his business and then going back to Elysium. Well, the problem is, too, they claim this is a a global thing, but they never leave the confines of what used to be Los Angeles. Not whatsoever. We we don't know what's happening in China. Well, I can't say that because... In the end, when, spoiler alert, they send the ships down with the healing bays, they land them in, like, Africa and stuff, and you see the people come running out. But it looks no different than what we've already seen in L.A. But as far as following people in there... I didn't see any black people on Elysium, so where are the rich Africans? Because there are some. Yeah, you're right. There weren't any black people. I didn't see any Asian people. The, The only black person I saw... That may have been Elysium was in the conference call that Fickner was making yeah, when they first introduced butler. his character. <laughs> is that racist? In today's world, it, it probably It is. might be, but <laughs> I, I would agree that it could be. Even though I got the impression he was somebody from some group around the company. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they didn't do anything with the, any of the no. other people's. No. It was just L.A. It was just L.A. Yeah. I gave it a 2 out of 5. I was I was less than impressed. I can't get past the heavy-handedness of it. Um, uh, and a lot of it has to do with knowing Blomkamp's uh, upbringing. I mean, I know he's South African stuff, but his parents, when they moved over to uh, North America, they, would, they didn't want to move to the U.S., so they wanted to move to Canada because of the guns and stuff. So I know the dude's coming from a a liberal background, and that's fine. I'm not I'm not sitting here trying to trash out liberals for their. I, I respect that they can you can have that opinion. I do. I just don't agree with it, especially when it comes to the to the shit that you're trying to portray in this movie. I just don't. And yeah. for me, it didn't play off well. It played off as just as just a. a MSNBC Keith Olbermann liberal rant, uh, and, and I'm and I don't have to like that. If, if if you're on that side, you probably will enjoy the fuck out of this movie. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give it a two point. I, I know you. I know you're you're itching. I, I I I wonder where you had this before we started our discussion. Two point five. Did you? Yeah. Because I, I, I sense I, that you've talked yourself down a little. No, I, I, I tried to talk myself up, honestly. When the movie ended, dude, I literally sat there. I sat through the entire credits. The last person in the, in the theater. 
Was there was there an, uh, an ending there where no. uh, we were just shooting black people or something? Was no, there an was, after credit scene. No, there was no after credit scene. There was nothing. It was about, just just me and I, I found myself saying, "Was there even a film here if you removed the economic harangue?" And I'm really not certain that there is. Well, it's interesting because I, I I didn't read it, but I've heard that Blomkamp was asked about that, and he's coming out saying that there's no message here he was trying to convey. Bullshit! There no, was there no is. message you were trying to convey. It's so blatant. It's so in your face. Yeah. It, I really, really wanted to like this movie, and and again, it's a fucking gorgeous film. Blomkamp knows how to make a good-looking sci-fi film. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. And I love Charlton really? Copley. The guy dives in headfirst into a role. There's no question. And if you told me that the guy from District 9 would pull off this performance, I'm not saying it's an Oscar level. It's a dirtbag performance. And after District 9, where he was anything but... Right. Where he was some little meek, mild guy whose father-in-law hated him, and he's just trying to do the right thing as part of his police force. This is such a total, drastic difference. I love Shalto in this one. Yeah, well, he's signed on for Blomkamp's next as well as the lead. So, but this economic harangue—it it, is—it's hard. It's to get relentless. It, it beats you down, and you will get pissed. I hope you get pissed. Well, you get pissed if you side up, if you're on our side, right? And, and for that reason, I, I can't go more than two point five out of five. Yep. See it, just get ready to be. Yep. Wealth is something you should strive for, not something you should. Continue. Yeah, it, it's it. You shouldn't be punished because you made good. Right. All right, so. That's it for Elysium. That's it for this podcast. We will reconvene in a couple of weeks after the world's end. Well, yeah, and we're actually going to be discussing two movies because Kick-Ass 2 and we The will. World End. It'll be a World End podcast. Yeah, it'll also be End of Summer End podcast, of Summer, which will be the We'll discuss theme. our... our we'll, we'll come up with some categories. We'll come up with favorites, uh, disappointments, yep. that type of thing for the summer, and uh, and we'll go from there, so... We will see you in a couple of weeks. Late.